Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think of a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we are just so tired. Um, like, tired in so many different ways. Tired, particularly of men, um, generally. Sorry, guys. Like, I know some of you are all right, but we're just really really sick of it uh i am lauren humphreys brooks slightly tired uh and with me as always is karen peterson hello karen I how tired so, are you i am so tired and men just need to just just shush, just shush. i'm done i'm done listening for a bit like you can come back later but right now just just shush well, and I particularly enjoyed how this week there are a lot of men who like have taken it upon themselves to be like, we should really listen. We should listen. You know, we should listen. Listen. <laughs> Let us listen. Let us listen more. Let me tell me how you want me to listen. And then, yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot of shit has gone so down true. this week. <laughs> it's yeah, it, and it's been really tough. So we we want to address this briefly. Um, this you know this past week has has been the kind of discussion about the murder of uh, Sarah Everard in the United Kingdom. Um, uh, We're not going to go into tons of details about this because frankly I've been avoiding too many details because I don't really want to deal with that. Uh, But this was a woman who who was uh, attacked and abducted uh, when she was walking home and that's all that was happening and this has of course created a, a, a dialogue on Twitter yet again and a dialogue in the media, probably a dialogue within between individuals as well um, about you know, this whole idea of women needing to protect themselves and the fact that we're tired of being told to protect ourselves. We know to protect ourselves. Um, we know all of the things that we do, not just as individuals, but for each other in order to try to be certain that everybody gets home safely and you're okay when you're walking home alone or when you're in a bar or when you're on the subway or when you're existing in a public space or when you're even not existing in a public space but in a private space. We know all of the things that that we do and that we're supposed to do and even then things like this still happen. So we have to have a conversation not about what women go through but why men do this and men need to talk to each other and talk to uh um themselves talk to you know consider their behavior we're really really tired of rehearsing our trauma i'm really tired of telling men this is my experience uh it's it's exhausting because because the thing is it's nothing new like if you if you know women you know women who have had a whole spectrum of experiences uh, that have been everything from being like actually attacked to being made very uncomfortable, being made very nervous, being afraid to you know just just walk home too late at night or um, go a route that you usually take but you're not going to take it because there's scaffolding up or something like that. It's it's a fucking trip being a woman. Um, so please, guys, don't ask us. Like, read some articles. And then go talk to each other about this and figure out how you're going to fix yourselves and your culture because we're really tired of being the ones who have to tell you how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other anniversary 
uh, that is being marked today, actually, as we're recording, I think, is the murder of Breonna Taylor, um, who, again, was a Black woman existing in her own home, asleep, and she was murdered uh, by the cops. And so this, this unfortunately dovetails a little too much with, um, with what happened to Sarah Everard. And, I, you know, I think that we should just at least acknowledge it and acknowledge how dangerous the world is for women and how I'm tired of reading these stories. I'm tired of like hearing any of these stories. Uh, it's, it's really, really exhausting. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Um, Brianna Taylor's murder and someone a couple months ago had, had said like, well, what makes Brianna's death any different for you than any of these other, you know, murders by cops or, or shootings or whatever you want to call them. Um, and it's, it's not that it's different it's not it's just that the details of her case opened my eyes a lot because of the fact that she had been home she'd been asleep the you know the police regardless of what the attorney general wants to say in kentucky or or you know any of the people involved in prosecuting that that case like the details are such that it, it just it really made me realize that and nobody's truly safe even in their own home and then when you couple that with this kidnapping and murder of sarah everard who was killed by a police officer and it just you know when i was a child i was always taught if you know if you're in danger you go to the police and for a lot of people that was never true that was never the police have never been safe for them and now i'm starting to see more and more that like the police really haven't been safe for me either necessarily like we can't make that assumption that because they wear an, a uniform and they patrol the streets that they're going to keep us safe and protect us that's not always the case and so it's just it's horrifying to to read about what happened to sarah it's horrifying and tragic and angering and just ridiculous and terrible and you know every adjective you can think of of what happened to brianna and what has happened to so many people um in our own country sarah was in the uk but um but you know brianna was at home in her own apartment and nothing that happened to her should have happened and so yeah i i'm with you i'm tired and i'm tired of men acting like we're the ones with the answers the answer that we have is that all we can do is protect ourselves not walk down certain streets you know not go alone places and why men don't have to live in fear all the time men can walk wherever they want to and not be afraid that they're going to get attacked why don't we get that same opportunity that's not our problem that's their problem they need to fix it and i just yeah yeah I mean, I, I have a stun gun. I carry a stun gun. And it's so stupid that I have to do that. None of the men I know have one. Well, and, and that that's the thing, the good men. And there are, and the fact is the majority of men are not people that attack, that attack women on their way home. That's right. absolutely accurate. 
but the good men have to be the ones who change the culture because they're the ones that have some kind of an ability to do it and an investment in doing it. So if you want us to stop being afraid of you, you have to do something about it. Mm -hmm. We can't do anything. We can't change your behavior. We cannot change the behavior of other men. You have some power in governing the behavior of other men. And that's something that you have to take upon yourselves. And again, please stop asking us. Like, please stop like, well, what can I do? Fucking read some books, like look, read some articles. We have talked about this way too much. You have all the information you need. Do not ask me again. Well, I want to know about your experience. It's like, no, I'm tired of rehearsing my experience. I'm every single woman that you know is tired of doing this. Yeah. Why do we keep having to relive our trauma so that you understand what we go through all the time? Yeah. You know, like my current apartment, I'm getting ready to move, but my current apartment, I live in a, in a, like a back house, basically it's detached from the main house on the same property as my landlords, but I go through like this gate, um, it's very tall gate, so you can't see on the other side of it, especially at night when it's dark. And I go into the back and I live in a relatively safe neighborhood, but there are some people around and like there's constantly strangers popping up and stuff. I have no idea if someone's going to follow me or if they're going to just be in the backyard. You know, I have no idea. I have no way of seeing it. I never know what's going to happen. There's nothing I can do about that. And you know, there have been a couple of times where I felt like someone was watching me or following me or whatever. And it's like, I don't want to have to live like that. That's ridiculous. And then if something were to happen, then I have to explain that over and over and over again. So other people understand what I went through. And then of course, then they would just blame me like, well, why didn't you have a flashlight? Why didn't you tell someone you were, you know, it's like, why is this my fault? You know, uh, women go through this all the time. And I don't, I don't know what it, like I think I think part of it is men tend to compartmentalize um in different ways than women do and I think that they think well I would never do that and so it doesn't occur to them like they don't think that way so it doesn't occur to them all the ways that we're constantly in danger yeah exactly and I, I think that a lot of men really are in that position where they're like well I wouldn't do that so you know you, you don't need to be afraid of me and again it's it's this whole thing it's just like I don't know that Right. Yes, nine times out of 10, the guy who is walking down the street behind me is just going home. He's not doing anything wrong. But the ten but I don't know that because it might be the tenth time. It might be the one person that I don't want to be walking behind me, right? And I can't know that you're safe. No woman can know that you're safe. Nope. Um, which means that you have to be aware of who of your privilege, of who you are, and do and take steps to make women more comfortable in your presence that is something you have to do and stop right? being That's, fucking offended when we don't trust you yeah like it's my like, god well, i would never not yeah i would never do that it's just like how the fuck do i know that mm -hmm. like how explain to me how my like sixth sense perceives that you're one of the good ones right yeah. like and and you know and, and i mean we've talked about it before the, the majority of violence against women is actually done by men that the women know right it isn't usually just a stranger on the street it is very often someone that they know someone that they're close to someone that they're friends with someone that they're involved with um and so you're talking about like well you know that i wouldn't do this. just like do i 
do mm. I know? Because most women were probably like, well, he, no, I'm in love with him. He's my boyfriend. He's my friend. He's whoever. He would never do that. Right. Except that obviously he would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we want to believe the best in men. Of course we do. We don't want to distrust them all. And, uh, it, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's very frustrating uh and just going back to what i was just saying a bit ago too like it's so frustrating when men get offended by that and then that's another layer of things that we have to control for and another way that we have to suppress our emotions and our concerns and our feelings in service to men and i'm tired of doing that too like i because we don't know what you're gonna do guys when you're offended we don't know how you're gonna react and not every guy reacts the same way and most guys don't react the same exact way every single time Mm -hmm. so we never know when we can let our guard down really around you and it's exhausting yeah it's exhausting it's exhausting and and men need to hear that and you also need to stop asking us why is why it's exhausting because we've told you multiple times many why it's exhausting many times so you know fix yourselves seriously Mm So, so we just wanted to address that um, briefly uh, before we move on to talk about some some other things uh, about because this is Women's History Month. We do want to talk about films made by women, films about women. Um, Karen, you've been wanting to answer Kenny's question about cancel culture uh, yes. for a little while. So why why don't we do that now? Since thank you so much, Kenny. We're sorry that it's taken us this long. Yes, um, to address your question. <laughs> A man who has not exhausted me yet, Kenny. You are great. We like you. Um, Kenny Miles. He sent this, um, actually, it was a month ago. It was exactly one month ago yesterday. So um, sorry that it's taken so long. But anyway, he said, would you talk on a future Citizen Dame episode about cancel culture and being conservative? I know you used to be. Did you ever feel uncomfortable? I think there's a difference between having a rational opinion that liberals disagree with and then there is racism and various phobias. We live in an era of bad judgment. And I think you could provide some nuance to this conversation, which, wow, that's such a nice question. So thank you. Um, thank you for that. And, and uh, I appreciate it. So, yeah, I think that the term and we've talked about this on this ep- on this podcast a few times, but I think that the term cancel culture gets thrown around um pardon the pardon the word choice but uh it gets thrown around liberally (laughs) um i think that there are a lot of different uh things that that can mean all at the same time and so you have to kind of parse that out so there's cancel culture which to me is a very limited group of people that really would just love to cancel anybody who offends them, like permanently get rid of them, banish them from existence. I don't think that most people are in that world. Then there are people, which I think is where most things are, that want consequences for real things that people do. Real offenses, real racism, real, you know, real issues that come up. There need to be consequences for that. And one of the things that you, Lauren, and I have talked about a lot here is that nothing is ever really canceled. (laughs) So, like, you know, the fact that certain people get to keep coming back and resurrecting their careers and things, cancellation is extremely rare. We, we still don't even know if we've really truly heard the last of Harvey Weinstein, for example, 
Um, we didn't get the Christmas video of Kevin Spacey this year, which was a surprise, but, um, but yeah, so I think first of all, before you can really go into cancel culture, what that is, what that looks like and how it's different for different groups, I think you really have to kind of define what you're looking at. And so there's consequences and then there's this cultural idea of canceling people, which I still think for the most part is kind of made up and much ado about nothing. I think that, that there are frenzies that happen um like what's going on currently with dr seuss i mean this was <laughs> this is kind of timely but um you know there's there's this frenzy that has emerged the seuss foundation has announced you know last week or whatever that they are going to stop publication on six very specific books from the collection those books are not going to cease to exist people who still own them they're not going to like just vanish off the shelves they still are out there they still exist in the world um but they're not going to be published anymore and they're not going to be for sale in traditional ways anymore and what ended up happening was a bunch of people including elected officials on the floor of congress reading green eggs and ham as if this is the problem and as if dr seuss is not going to be allowed to exist anymore we're not going to be allowed to teach children oh the places you'll go or anything anymore (laughs) (laughs) you know like my own mother posted on facebook yesterday she copied and pasted it from somewhere but it was this whole thing about like they can't take away dr seuss and i'm like okay this is and my mom is very conservative i love her i do we have diverged a lot in our way of thinking about things but yesterday she posted this whole thing about like they can't get rid of dr seuss and and this is just terrible and and here's where it gets really especially funny my mom does not like dr seuss my mom (laughs) hates the cat in the hat she used to go off about how terrible of an example that was for children i only owned one dr seuss book that i can specifically remember and my aunt gave it to me so (laughs) well see this is one of the things that i find really funny about the whole dr seuss thing is that is that a lot of dr seuss is incredibly progressive and <laughs> nigh on to socialist. I mean, yep. you've got you've got your like, the, the Lorax. <laughs> yeah, you've got the Lorax, which is probably the most famous one, which was actually banned in a number of schools for being too political. Yep. Um, because so that's about environmentalism. You've got all oh, the places you'll go, which is about like travel and uh, understanding people from other cultures mm-hmm. and like, yeah, and like expanding your horizons and all this. You, but then you've got other things that are really specific, like um, Horton Hears a Who, which deals with McCarthyism. <laughs> and you've got Yertle the Turtle, which is anti authoritarian and is specifically about Hitler. Um, you have. Uh, you have Horton lays an egg, which is about. I've never read like, that one. <laughs> it's about okay, Horton the elephant who raises an egg, sits on the egg that like the mother abandons the egg and is like, I'm just gonna leave. And Horton like sits on the egg, and when the egg eventually hatches, the mother comes back and tries to take it away from him, but the egg hatches and it's an elephant bird. Right, so it's about like found family and how biological relationships don't necessarily mean that you're the parent, mm-hmm. right? 
you've got the Butter Battle book, which is anti-nuclear war. It's about like anti-nuclear proliferation. That's what that story is about. So I'm always amazed that like conservatives are like, ah, yes, yes, we must defend Dr. Seuss. It's like, you do know that like he represents, like a lot of his books represent everything you despised, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. And I think that this is where, just to get back to Kenny's specific question, the difference where with, with, um, conservative and liberal i think as far as what's happening right now obviously these kinds of things change and crisscross and go back and forth it's interesting because i feel like it has even switched over time it used to seem like um uh, i'm trying to think if, if what i'm about to say is even totally true like i don't know it it used to, from a conservative perspective, it used to seem like um, the left, you know, this nebulous left, the liberals wanted to um, wanted to do things like uh, get rid of Christmas celebrations. You know, they changed Christmas break to winter break when I was in elementary school or high school or something, you know, those kinds of things. And there's this this mentality that exists on the conservative side that like oh that is a version of cancellation that's the left trying to rewrite things that's the left trying to rewrite our culture and our history and our society and i think that it was for myself as i started to move more to the middle um and started to really listen to both sides of arguments and listen to to both sides of of all sorts of different issues and things I think that's where I really started to see that, well, no, um, the left or the liberals or, or however you want to frame it, like they, they want inclusivity. They want to, um, they want to be welcoming and open and, uh, and also, you know, remove certain things when necessary from the conversation like these dr seuss books um moving a statue of robert e lee out of a public square where it has a place of prominence and is given if not an actual at least a symbolic position of like something being important and and something that deserves prominence you know but for conservatives i don't know it's just it's been very eye-opening over the last few years to really see that mindset from outside of the bubble does that make sense yeah i think that that all makes sense i i think that there is this impression that you know because a lot of the things when, you, when we talk about cancel culture we're often talking about people or things that have been there for a long time right yeah. um and so suddenly we're saying like and i think that there is sometimes a little bit of moralism that comes into it that we're like well you can't enjoy this anymore mm -hmm. right so there is this whole thing and and some of it was because of the echo chamber of on the conservative side of just like well we're not allowed to enjoy dr seuss anymore it's just like no that's not <laughs> what we're saying we're saying that these specific books have in, have big enough issues that they're not going to be published anymore right and i think that with that with the dr seuss thing it's you're also talking about children's culture and i think that there's a little bit more um it's a little there there are more issues kind of related to that than if we're talking about um adult books or or films yeah. things like that um so yeah I, I think that sometimes there's a liberal side that becomes very moralistic mm 
mm-hmm. and the sort of almost begin you know makes you feel bad if you like certain things or if you're like i i know that these things have problems but i also enjoy them and and you know here's why so i think that there's always that tension but for the most part like first of all the whole concept of canceling a human being or canceling and anything it's like that doesn't exist that's not a real thing um as we've talked about before most people who quote get canceled don't get canceled at all so we're not going to to be doing that and and the other thing is that we're Think about the number of people that have actually been canceled, the careers that have been destroyed, um, the sort of the books that have been removed because of their creators being female or being LGBTQ or being people of color, all of these things. That's real cancellation. Real cancellation is uh, women not being able to work anymore because they've been so badly harassed by men in their workplace Mm -hmm. that's real cancellation it's not hey this guy did a horrible fucking thing let's not have him in public anymore right yeah exactly well and i think that that's that's the thing i think when it comes to to the right or the conservative side there's this weird like there's this weird lack of intellectual curiosity uh, and I say weird because for a long time, a lot of the the right was very educated. And lately, it seems like it's not as as more opportunities have been presented uh, to women, to people of color. Now you have um, education across the map and, and has even skewed more to the left, which is awesome. It's great. Um, we want we uh, you know, we want everyone to have opportunities and have the same opportunities but um but i think that the it's interesting because now what is being revealed is just this really sharp lack of intellectual curiosity that i'm seeing on the right and what i mean by that is like when they hear something like dr seuss is being canceled they don't ask questions they don't Mm -hmm. ask why what is going on what is the truth you know i was talking about this with a friend last night that like you know, there was something that my church had put out a few years ago and I had a very strong emotional reaction to this, this information that was being shared. And I was just like, okay, let me step back and think about why and, and see if I can understand what's going on here. And I'm not saying that I have, I'm always right about everything, even though I am, but, um, but, uh, you know, I just, I don't handle every situation correctly, but one of the things that I try to do, if I have a strong emotional reaction to some piece of news that I've heard, I try to like put a pin in that and think like, okay, is this something I should be emotional about? Is there some logical explanation behind what's going on? What are the reasons for this? And so when I hear Dr. Seuss, I'm like, okay, well, which books? Why? Let me see some of the pictures that we're talking about. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's super racist, you know? And, and I think you're right too. I think that, um, one of the things that does happen sometimes because there are certain things that I've been like I'm just not going to tell anybody that I like this movie because it's got this person in it or you know it's based on a book by that author or whatever and so I think that there there is moralizing yes definitely on the on the part of the the more liberal side too that can make it feel like oh am i going to be canceled if i read the ichabog or whatever which i have not read but um but you know like there there is some of that but i think for the most part the the biggest thing is just communication and talking and and not just talking but listening to people also like having conversations 
about things, asking a lot of questions to understand what the other side thinks and believes and feels. And I think if we could do more of that, then we would have a lot less of this notion of cancel culture. Yeah, and, and I do I do think that you have a good point about intellectual curiosity is that a, a lot of this a lot of this is about I think that the, for a very long time the conservative mindset, what is now the conservative mindset, was pretty much the acceptable perspective, right? Yeah. Um, and it was very white, it was very male, it was very mainstream. And now there is much more pluralism. There's a lot more um, a lot more people getting a lot more education and also participating more in the creation of mainstream culture. And I think that that has thrown a lot of people off because they're like, well, they're canceling Christmas. Just like, no, no one's canceled Christmas. You can celebrate Christmas. We're just saying that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so focused on Christianity when you have all of these other religions that exist in this country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? exactly. So we're not all Christians. So we're gonna have a winter break and you can celebrate Christmas and, you know, uh, someone else can celebrate Hanukkah and someone else can celebrate nothing, you know, that and those are all fine. And I think that that's part of what's going on is that what was once acceptable, what was once like kind of the norm is no longer the norm, which is a good thing. But that means that there are a lot of people who feel like they're, they're losing something, which it, I think that the problem is that a lot of what they're losing is a domination and a control of culture that has actively damaged other human beings. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people lose sight or don't even think about the fact that there's a big difference between the words acceptable and accepted. Yeah. And there are a lot of things in our history. There's a lot of things in our present that are accepted, but that does not mean that they're acceptable. We allow them, we let them exist, but that doesn't mean that they should. Yes, absolutely. So th thank you, Kenny. I hope that that like, I hope that that sort of answers the question that, that you were asking. Thank you so much for your patience. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that this is a good segue into uh, our, our topic for today, which is um, it's Women's History Month. So we're going to talk about women's movies and specifically the concept of the woman's film and what that means and maybe how it's changed a bit. Uh, uh, recently and, and how we kind of understand women's films so just to start out with what's a woman's film <laughs> um, and the the answer to that question is well it is films designed to appeal to women i mean really the so, true answer is every film should be a woman's film but... every film is a woman's film really <laughs> i mean and actually i think that we should talk about that in a few minutes <laughs> But so typically when people talk about the woman's film, you're talking about films, um, and this is starting as early as the silent period, but you're talking about films that have female protagonists that focus on feminine typed things. And, and you know, with our understanding of what masculinity is, what femininity is, uh, this has obviously changed over time. But so in terms of the things that are sort of stereotypically feminine, right? So things like melodramas, costume dramas, romances, romantic comedies, um, motherhood, stories about motherhood and the mother-daughter relationships particularly. Um, not just stories written and made by women, very often in the early period, um, these were films that were actually written and made by men, uh, but there's specific things that are intended to kind of bring in the female audience and engage the female audience, usually by focusing on a female main character who then, um, you know, has all of these different experiences. So 
it's it's one of those things that you know they're not it's not really a genre per se it's more like a, a, a subject matter yeah and and these films can be really interesting actually and there's there's been a lot of criticism of particularly the earlier films made in like the 30s and 40s that these are very sort of conventional that they're meant to reinforce the sanctity of motherhood right the sanctity of childbirth the sanctity of marriage um, you know, the role of women within society in very prescribed roles, very often punishing women who attempt to step outside of that. But there are some interesting elements, I think, that begin to develop, one of them being that these are female protagonists, and that a lot of these films are about female relationships as well, not just women's relationship to men, but women's relationship to other women and, um, and what that means and, and what that looks like. So a lot of these films deal with female relationships more than anything else. And one of the big ones that I wanted to at least mention, and I don't know whether you've seen this film or not, Karen, is uh, George Cukor's The Women. You know, it's one of those that has been on my list for years. <laughs> well, this, <laughs> never is a, this is a, a complicated film in a lot of ways because it was billed as being, it is e exclusively women. There are no men in this film. Mm -hmm. None. Uh, they, I think they even build it as being like, oh, even the, the dogs are female, right? <laughs> uh, something like that. But so you've got these huge major actresses, right? So um, Roz Russell and Joan Crawford and, um, and now I'm blanking, Norma Shearer. Uh, so these are major, major actresses in this comedy that is exclusively about women. The entire film is about men. Mm -hmm. everything that happens in the film is about women competing with each other over men women dealing with uh infidelity in their husbands women dealing with problems at home all of this stuff so it's this very weird sort of structure where you're sitting there going like this is cool because these are all of these women interacting these great actresses and yet somehow it doesn't pass the Bechdel test <laughs> everything is about men right every and and it's about women being very vicious to each other and very you know catty with each other um because of men and it's it's a bizarre experience and I know some people have tried to kind of reclaim it as being no this is a really important film it is an important film in a lot of ways but it is one of the more reactionary films I've seen from this period like there are films like His Girl Friday, uh, which is about the same generation, that um, does a much better job at showing women being independent, women uh, like relating in the workplace and things like that. And that is not a movie that, you know, is about women per se. <laughs> <laughs> So I always caution, you know, just because the cast is full of women does not mean that it is a feminist film. No, in fact, a lot of times it doesn't at all. But yeah, um, well, and it's it's funny because it's like this concept of woman films. It's it's also very dismissive. Um, yeah, because it's just like, oh, well, those aren't serious. Those are woman films. Like those are not about important topics and um and so yeah it's just another one of those avenues or or ways that women are just you know uh treated as lesser yeah. and and especially you know as film was rising and as they're pushing out female directors uh out of the industry um 
this is this is kind of the result and so it's it's funny because it's like yeah i mean we'll talk more about this in a second i'm sure but you know this every film is a woman's film and every film is a man's film too like i remember when my nephew and i one day he was like 13 at the time and we were hanging out and ghostbusters was about to come on the paul feig ghostbusters was about to come on and i was like oh have you seen this and he's like yes i love it so good and i'm like awesome let's watch it and he's like okay and he goes i don't really like the one from the 80s <laughs> and i was like good there's hope for you child um <laughs> so that's the thing it's like yeah let's show our boys good films about good smart women too but um mm-hmm. but yeah so uh, there was something else I was going to say, and I totally lost my point, but something about the woman films being dismissive. I can't remember now. Yeah, women, well, women's films tend, tend to get kind of relegated to a, a, a it's a subgenre, right? Yeah. At some level. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, and there've been a lot of arguments that this isn't really a genre because it's not like an, in, an industrial constructed genre. Right. In the sense that critics have identified it as, have identified this pattern in filmmaking. But this isn't something, this isn't like a Western or a, um, or even something more nebulous like a film noir because it covers all of these different genres. Yeah, it can and be it, lots of different types of, of stories. Yeah. And it's about centralizing the female experience. On the other side of it is that it, it has been kind of relegated to this almost backstreet <laughs> sensation of like, this is something that is only for women and therefore it is lesser. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very similar to the romance novel genre. Um, in literature right that okay this oh it's a it's a book but it's about women it's about love it's about sex it's about that sort of thing we don't we don't take that seriously it's and yeah yeah and that attitude that attitude has been prevalent about so-called women's films or the woman's film yeah and like i'm specifically thinking of the scene right now in sleepless in seattle of which is funny um but it's the scene where tom hanks and rita wilson and victor garber are sitting around the table and um they're talking about this letter that he's gotten from this woman which is meg ryan and rita wilson she's listening to the story and she's like oh it's like that movie an affair to remember with deborah carr and she starts talking about it she's crying as she's talking about it and victor garber and tom hanks just stare at her and then tom hanks finally goes that's a chick's movie and then victor garber's like oh but you know i cried in the end of the dirty dozen like well who wouldn't and then they start recounting the end of the dirty dozen and they're both pretending to just sob like it's just this weepy movie and it's like it's such a funny scene and it's great and i love it but it's also like but yeah that's really dismissive of of yeah. um and that's intentional i mean sleepless in seattle was written by nora efron so it's i mean it's it's a <laughs> woman's film really exactly you know, it's, it's a, a woman's romantic. film written by a woman and it's very specifically you know yeah like it's, it's a romantic comedy like. exactly <laughs> but it's very specifically making the point of like yeah yeah men mock these movies but they're so influential in in our culture oh this is something else i was thinking too is just like you know a lot of times you know movies do they reflect we've talked about this before but like they reflect the world that we live in but they also can help 
shape it too. And so by, by showing these stories of women pitted against each other or uh, women navigating certain issues in a very similar way, or, you know, just some of the things that, that are common traits, like, oh, women only care about fashion and, and going to parties, like evening parties or garden parties or whatever. Like it, it kind of reinforces in viewers these certain things of like, oh, well, I should be having my hair that way, or I should yeah. be dressing this certain way or whatever. And so it's not just, um, it's not just relegating female centric films into a certain category that ba basically men just avoid then it's also giving women an idea of what they should be doing and how their yeah. expectations are. Yeah. This, this is what it is meant by being a woman, by being yeah. female. Um, and, and yeah, and, and a lot of the, the critiques of this have been that this is, like I said, reinforcing the concept of motherhood, of marriage. Um, the fact that so many of these films are romances mm -hmm. in one way or another, either romantic dramas, melodramas, romantic comedies, but the, the end goal of, the, of those genres is usually marriage, right? Marriage or in later years, you know, a, a long-term relationship, getting the right man, meeting Mr. Right, all of those things. Um, and of course, that that reinforces not a heteronormativity. It reinforces, and it also reinforces that the goal of being female is to get married and have children. That is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, which you know, films are not solely responsible for that, for that <laughs> view. But definitely, no. the, you're right. Definitely, the way that media treats that, and the fact that media uses these kinds of films that are intended to appeal to women and are directed towards women and centralized female experience you you do it does turn into that kind of well okay this is what i'm meant to want mm -hmm. um and what i'm you know supposed to experience on the other side of it, it there is this fantasy escape that comes into play you know finding the perfect man right finding this and very often these films do involve male characters who are ideal right in some way so cary grant Right, he's he's ideal. You know, Cary Grant and Deborah Carr in an affair to remember mm -hmm. all of this melodramatic oh, stuff that, that happens. So but much. Cary Grant, who is like, who's like, you know, he's a playboy, but he falls in, passionately in love with her, and he like he's going to go to the Empire State Building, and then she breaks his heart, but he doesn't realize he doesn't realize mm -hmm. what happened that she was hit by a car. <laughs> love an affair to remember. Oh, but I it, love that movie too. But I also would love the way that it's used in Sleepless in Seattle yeah. by a female writer and director who takes the elements that make an affair to remember so great but also twist them just the slightest bit so it's like it does end up in this beautiful meeting at the top of the empire state building in new york but it's not because sam is going to meet annie it's because sam is going after his son who got caught up in this sweeping you yeah. know potential love story and so he's going basically to rescue his son to save him and um it's it's, it's this, this fatherhood thing. <laughs> it's this wonderful room, but it, it does come down to this this romantic fantasy. Right? Yeah, oh yeah, so totally. This is a world that, you know, you meet the one man who's perfect for you and you have this wonderful relationship. You know, those, all of those things that are kind of, and they're, and it's designed to appeal to, to kind of that melodrama. And I, I think that it's also designed to be extreme. And, mm -hmm. you know, and this is where melodrama comes into play, that it it's never, you know, like, 
we break up because because you know you won't pick up your shoes or some shit which mm-hmm. is very often the catalyst for something yep. like that but it's more is more like no she was running to the empire state building and this was hit by a car and she couldn't tell him because she can't walk like you know it's it's that extremity it's that soap mm-hmm. opera and as a result i think that it reinforces the fact that this is a fantasy yeah right this is not something that usually happens to people right um but it's it's so in that sense you know we go back to the the romance novel analogy it's like this is this is something that we that to fantasize about it's not really something that we believe in as reality mm-hmm. um but it does produce this like desire to be like well you know well why can't i expect a man who's like a decent human being that would be nice uh <laughs> you don't want to be in love you want to be in love in a movie that line shaped me because <laughs> i was like oh, that's true I learned about love from like watching the Disney princesses. I, I have, yeah, I've told, but I've told like male friends of mine, like if you want to really understand women and you want to really understand what kind of a man you should be, read romance novels and watch romantic comedies. Like yep. seriously, because yep. you know, you want, you want to be Cary Grant in mm-hmm. An Affair to Remember. You want to be, you know, Greg Peck in Roman Holiday. that is that you want to be tom hanks in sleepless in seattle that Mm -hmm. is who you should be so strive to be that and like women will just fall all over you seriously yeah actually not that hard problem guys it's it's really it's very easy but but just just to be grant right but don't act like cary grant be cary grant Grant. (laughs) actually see right through your crap at some point if it's just an act but you have to be him I mean, I just, I have to say one of my favorite romantic comedies, and this is part of this genre, is um, Only You. I love um, that movie! Okay, with, and and that's that's one of those films, it's similar to Sleepless in Seattle in that it, it recognizes, like, it actually uses this whole weird romantic concept of finding your one true love kind mm-hmm. of thing, and like fate and all of this stuff, to the point where like this this woman is actually creating serious problems for herself <laughs> as a result. But it's like baby Robert Downey Jr. He's so adorable. And Marissa Tomei, and they're so funny together. But it's one of those moves you're just like, oh my God, this is everything that like romance is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. And and it, it also skewers, you know, some of these, these fantasies of like, this is a fantasy. This isn't something that really happens. Right. Um, but then it does really happen in the film and it's it's a it's a great balance but I, I just absolutely adore that movie <laughs> mm, it's such a great movie it's so good yeah and there's so many like that where and see, and honestly that was part of my problem that's why that line from Sleepless in Seattle really resonates with me so much is because I grew up on a steady diet of princess movies and and romantic comedies and so then you just kind of think well why mm. isn't why isn't my life like this? Why can't I meet a guy in a coma and convince his family I'm engaged to him? And Well, and I, I think that this kind of feeds into this, that um, Janine Bassinger is a, a film historian talks about the purposes of the women's film. And one of the purposes is, uh, it's this is a quote, to provide a temporary visual liberation of some sort, however small, and escape into purely romantic love, into sexual awareness, into luxury, or into the rejection of the female role. And that is what these films provide. These are very often about women 
um, on the non-romantic comedy side, women who do everything for their children mm -hmm. or women who, you know, make their own businesses and kind of exist independently of men. And then maybe there's a romance that happens in the third act, but that's not the main purpose of the film. Um, and and there's, there's that too, that this is an escape. And you have to remember that we're talking about cinema that is very heavily shaped by men originally. Yeah. Um, and so you've got these films that are being shaped at least visually in some way by the female experience. Um, a lot of the, the early films within this category tend to be more like more about the female gaze, tend to be more about like, you know, actually if you look at the Douglas Sirk melodramas, the way that the camera looks at Rock Hudson mm -hmm. or, um, or who's the other guy and I'm blanking on his name. He's also in a couple of Douglas Sirk films, but, um, but yeah, the, this like romantic, melodramatic, kind of hazy, technicolor look, right? That is very much about the way that women want to look at men um, and the way that women want to look at themselves as well. Yeah, yeah. It's this, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's like an idealized view. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There. I'm scrolling through a list right now. It's supposed to be the 200 best romantic comedies of all time. And it's on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, because they have to all the boys. P.S. I still love you is ranked higher than like, I don't know, 13 going on 30. So it's like, who, who was in charge of this? This is dumb. But anyway, um, but yeah, it's just funny. I'm thinking about how many of these movies are just like, some of them are, are, you know male leads but it's still very much a female gaze movie yeah you know like hitch for example i mean oh my gosh will smith is so hot in that movie <laughs> <laughs> it's about him but you you really it's not it's about him getting together with eva mendez you know um, uh, but i i think that it's interesting because the romantic comedy for a while has become very um it's fallen off a lot, both mm -hmm. as a genre and as just something that people even want to see. Um, and and it's kind of interesting to consider why that is. And I think that some of it honestly is that that it's so based in the in what are now very archaic notions of what women want, what women should want, um, what the goal of being a woman is in our society, that now we're kind of like, well, this is a little bit reactionary now yeah. you know if, if you're gonna tell me that you, how to lose a guy in 10 days is a very reactionary film <laughs> yeah. um it's it's this but if you were if it had been made in the 1950s uh it might have been you know with rock hudson and doris day it might have been a classic by now mm -hmm. um so it, it is that weird kind of tension that a lot of these films do still promote kind of very archaic notions yeah. um and they haven't they've only just really begun to move beyond that, I think, well, to actually yeah. go into more like, okay, this is what, this is what our current reality is. Right. And it seems like the, the direction that they're going, I mean, the biggest recent romantic comedy that comes to mind is Crazy Rich Asians, which is a romantic comedy, but it's also kind of not because, uh, I mean, it definitely is but you know it's it's about so much more than that it's about identity and culture and um you know family and a lot of other things and it's like there there is that element of like 
will these two main characters stay together to the end of the movie maybe maybe not but it's there's so much else at play and i think that's why it works in our modern era because it's not just about like will they won't they it's about so much more than that yeah absolutely i agree um so well why don't we take a talk about a couple of questions we did actually have a few questions uh today um so the first one i wanted to address is from at uh owen daly who are some great classic hollywood actresses you think might have made great directors um and this is always hard to answer i think because you get actors that are very good directors people like um uh ida lupino and but you kind of like okay who would have really been good at this i think kate hepburn would have been good at it oh she would have been amazing um i think she could have made some really interesting films and she has she obviously has a very good cinematic sense um and and i would have quite liked to see what kind of films she might have made mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah definitely um uh, yeah that's a that is a very tough one because it's like there's so much that goes into directing that's so different from just being in front of the screen and so it's like I don't know like for me some of it's like well I would like to have seen some movies that they'd written at least or something but I think one person that came to mind for me was um Betty Davis I'd be very yeah. interested in the types of stories that she would tell yeah I think that that's some of this is that what kind of stories would they tell mm-hmm. and um what would those stories look like uh honestly and this is a kind of a weird one but she was smart enough for it and i think that she could have really shaped her own image uh i would have loved to see marilyn monroe directing and starring in her own work oh that would be really interesting i think that would have been really cool because she she was a very intelligent woman and she was so shaped by what hollywood did to her Mm -hmm. um it could have been fascinating if she had been able to kind of control her own like Mae West uh control her own image to uh, to at least a certain degree yeah 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 and then I I think of like um sort of you know some character actresses and people like that too so someone like um someone like Thelma Ritter like what kinds of stories would she have told what was her experience and what would that have looked like you know i don't know that could have been fun yeah yeah it could have been i think women needed more opportunities generally um in that period Mm -hmm. so we do have another question from at noah underscore saturn uh and he just asks betty or joan and i'm not i i don't prefer either uh, and the reason for that is that I, I don't really want to pit women against each other, actresses against each other. And I think that when you really look at their careers, Betty and Joe, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford are two very different actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they're both kind of typed as, as very strong screen presences. They were very strong off screen as well. Um, but they play very different kinds of roles. They uh, kind of occupy very different spaces. And I, I think that the, the conflict between them is primarily a result of, of whatever happened to baby Jane. 
yeah. uh, and kind of, and they're, they were which is a great movie, which is a great movie. And they're wonderful in it together, actually. But uh, that, you know, that film has been sort of treated as like, oh, you know, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford hated each other. Well, they weren't fans of one another. That's true. Uh, but a lot of their conflict and their feud was a result, not so much of their own personal feelings for one another, but um, uh, the studio kind of shaping this and being like, oh, don't you want to see these two women beating the shit out of each other, essentially? Yeah, really stirring the pot and yeah. trying to yeah create drama that didn't necessarily exist or at least accentuate the drama that was there so that they could guarantee more ticket sales yeah um so so yeah i I don't really want to pit them against each other in the same way um just because i I, they're both great actresses they're both major icons um i enjoy watching their films i've actually come to like joan crawford a lot more recently because i've gotten to see a lot more of her um films a number of the films that i'd seen that i'd seen her in before she was kind of like this she she was in the women for instance so she was kind of the vamp or whatever but she actually had a really interesting and very long career and she was a great actress Mm -hmm. yeah they both they both were really great and talented and um so i just want to start by saying noah thank you for your question i what i'm about to say please don't feel bad for asking it because i'm actually glad that you asked this the way that you did in the week that you did because it gives me the opportunity to talk about something that uh i see which happens a lot which is uh this sort of this difference between men and another difference between men and women and the way that we talk about movies the way we talk about people um and this is a perfect example like uh neither of us i'm i'm totally 100 with you on this one lauren neither of us want to pit these women against each other in general we don't want to pit any performers against each other and something that i'm frequently asked to do something that we just see a lot of conversations about on film twitter is like listing and i mean lists are fine lists are fun but like ranking things something has to be the best and something has to be the worst and it's just such a i'm not saying it's right or wrong but it's just such a a male (laughs) trait it's such a male thing that like everything has to be ranked and there has to be something that's better than everything else and it's it's one of those things where it's like i'm just i'm tired of being asked (laughs) you know like i definitely have my favorite movies and my favorite actors and stuff but that doesn't mean that i think anything's wrong with all the other choices you know and so uh yeah this actually came up the other day where um someone was ranking i can't remember what it was it was like all the pixar movies of like the last 10 years or something and one person was like well i don't personally think that there have been any bad ones and someone else is like oh i don't either but you know so my number 10 i still think it's a great movie i'm like then why is it your number 10 why do you have a number 10 just say you like them all like why does one have to be at the bottom that gives this impression that it's less than all these other movies so it's yeah yeah general list listing always bothers me just a little (laughs) bit because it's it's very often this like this like well it's 10 because something had to be 10 it's just like yeah but i i you know it's it's like i like wally but i also like up yeah. but i also like inside out but and i don't I like any like... of them better than the other i like them all <laughs> yeah i mean there are a couple they're probably the, the thing is it's a lot easier for me to say like something that i really dislike mm-hmm. than it is to be like well how would you rank these three films that you love it's like i 
I wouldn't. I, I, I just want to watch them all. <laughs> yeah, and they're all different films. Mm-hmm. So I love and probably I love them for different reasons, you know, but yeah. Um, the, yeah the, my, my problem with ranking is that it just gives this superficial um it's the superficial idea of of something being better than something else and very very often that's not the case and also i mean let's just be real my list will change from one day to the next like yeah. my top 10 for 2020 that i was you know that i have to put out that changed the second I hit publish. Like my, you know, it depends on my mood. It depends on what's happening that day. It depends on, you know, like, well, which one would I rather watch right now? Oh, okay. I guess that one's my favorite, but tomorrow it'll be something else. It might be something mm-hmm. that's not even in that list. You know, it's yeah. And so Noah, I hope you don't feel like we're dragging you. Cause that's not my intention no. at all. It's, it's just, this is such a, it's such a guy thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, this, this is not a criticism of, of you or your question. This, this is totally, it's completely understandable why you would ask that question. Yeah, but, totally. So we, and, and it, it created an interesting conversation. I'm going to put off the next question because okay. I want a little bit more time to think about it. Um, this is it's from Paola Fangirls. Paola, we are going to answer your question next week. Just, I want to get some of my thoughts in a row because whenever someone asks me like, what kind of character do you identify with? I'm like, oh shit, I've forgotten all the characters that I've ever known. <laughs> yeah. Uh, literally every character that I have ever identified with have been like, oh Lauren, yeah, that's exactly like you. I'm like, I don't remember their names, what films they were in, um, mm-hmm. anything. So we, we will address should this. also We should also say some characters that remind us of the other person. I think that would be fun too. So we will do that <laughs> next week. That will okay. be one of our things for next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything else about women's films or your feelings about them anything else you wanted to address karen um i like women films and we need all of the films to be women films (laughs) that's all (laughs) and we also have to note that there are a lot of female directors who don't direct what are considered to be women's films right well and that's one of the things we've talked about this a lot too sorry i just totally just cut you off no go on but this is the thing like when you ask guys okay well who are some of your favorite female directors they almost almost 100 percent of the time the first one they will name is Catherine bigelow who makes great movies i love point break i love the hurt locker i love zero dark 30 those are not women movies at all those are just movies and they're great but they tend to be very male-centric not female-centric so of course mm-hmm. you like them of course you identify with them well, and I found this interesting because I just watched Elaine May's A New Leaf uh, this week. And one of the things that occurred to me as I was watching was like, because one of her other major films is Mikey and Nikki. Um, and, and I was like, man, a lot, there are a lot of female directors who, who direct movies that are specifically about toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and male friendships, right? And Catherine Bigelow is another good one. Um, point Break. <laughs> yeah. Right? love that movie so um, much or even the hurt locker right they, these are very male-centric films but they're about like male emotions and kind of investigating mm-hmm. toxicity and the way that men understand their masculinity i find it really interesting that there are a lot of these female filmmakers who are talking about that and very often have this um let's say compassionate view 
yeah. this like, you know, men, so it, it's not denying male trauma or male or, or the toxicity of, the, of male society, but actually saying like, this is the damage that it does to men. And this is, we need to understand that, right? And, and we need to heal that at some level. Yeah. Well, even going back to Ida Lupino's The Hitchhiker, which is about these three men and the conversation that they have while they're in this car together and mm-hmm. the the story that unfolds between these three men back in the 50s you know it's it's something that you would have a much different experience if that film were directed by a man and written yeah. by a man yeah same thing with uh Pino's the bigamist right mm-hmm. this it's very there's a compassion i think that comes in a lot of these films you know that's not an exclusive statement obviously there are non-compassionate female filmmakers um but a lot of these films really are about like let's understand this yeah. let's heal this at some level let's resolve some of the trauma um and it's less about like you know let's blow things up although that has its place as well oh definitely (laughs) i mean i like explosions i like car chases you know it's so funny because it's just the other night i'm i've been spending the evenings with a friend and just like working at my place during the day and so the other night she had left the room to take a phone call and like kind of handed me the remote and so i'm just flipping through the channels and i was like oh god in 60 seconds so i turn it on it's like the last you know just about the part where he's doing the chase with you know the the shelby at the end nicholas cage and she comes back into the room and she's like what is this and i'm like it's gone in 60 seconds she's like what's this movie I'm like you've never seen gone in 60 seconds like i love this movie so much it's so dumb and i love it <laughs> it's so dumb so dumb but it I, is so dumb just, yeah. i love it, that movie it is a baby movie. michael pena oh, yeah. <laughs> it's great well i mean i love the fast and furious franchise i think most yeah. women that i know love the fast and furious franchise why because it's a melodrama guys it is a <laughs> fucking melodrama this is like most action films when you actually take a step back are so melodramatic exactly. it's not even funny like it's you about guys family lauren it's about family you, you guys like women's films why because this is women's films are melodramas look you love your melodramas so much fucking soap operas yeah uh, so true on that note uh i think that is gonna that is gonna close us out for this week thank you so much for listening we started out very dire but i think that we actually lightened up a little bit which is yeah. nice it's nice to sometimes be light um as always, we want to thank our patrons uh, who continue to support us. And we are trying to do more stuff with the, the Patreon and more things are coming. So keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much to Adriana, Ali, uh, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Mason, Matt, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Um, thank you so much, you guys. If you do want to join our uh, Patreon, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. And we are always really appreciative of this. This is like how we keep the website going. This is how we keep, you know, our, our podcast being hosted and everything. Uh, if you want to support us uh, by buying some of our merchandise, we have a Zazzle store. It's zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. And we also have a Ko-Fi account, co-fi.com slash citizen dame, which you can just send us a few dollars if you don't feel like making a commitment right now. Um, and as always, we have our website, citizendamepod.com, where we've got reviews and editorials and our Citizen Dame 
five, which we have resurrected, and we are now trying to do as much as possible. So a lot of, actually a number of people have expressed like joy that this has come back. So we're really know, happy about that. so happy. <laughs> that was so nice to see. um and you can also get in touch with us we are at citizendamepod at gmail.com so you can send us emails questions comments uh we like hearing from people you know if you think we've done a good job on something you think maybe we could work a little bit on something just don't be mean please um because i will be mean back i swear to god oh yes yes we will (laughs) Uh, we are also, of course, on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod, and you can get in touch with us that way as well. And we do tend to put up polls and things like that um, on on our Twitter account. So, you know, check that out. If you're not on Twitter, you know, just give it a look because things do come up. Um, and you can also get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. So that will close us out for this week. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Well, I'm not looking for a mail order bride. I'm, I just want somebody that I can have a decent conversation with over dinner, you know, without it falling down into weepy tears over some movie that She's you just saw. very emotional. Although I cried at the end of The Dirty Dozen. Well, who did Because Jim Brown was throwing these hand grenades down these air, air shafts, and Richard Jekyll and Lee Marvin were sitting on top of this armored uh, personnel carrier that dressed up like Nazis and oh, yes. Trini Lopez. Trini Lopez. <laughs> he busted his neck when they were parachuting down behind the Nazi line. Stop it. Richard Jekyll, at the beginning, he had on his shiny helmet because he was EMP. Please, no more. Oh, oh, God, I love that movie.